Now, this is a story. It's a good story. You always love a good story when it's got a good guy and a bad guy in it. And you can tell who is who. I don't know if you watch much television, but these days, not all the good guys are 100% good, like they used to be in the old days. Good guys always wore the white hats and the bad guys always wore the black hats. It was easy to tell them apart. These days, television shows are much more complicated. But this is a straightforward story. It's not, by the way, a textbook on heaven and hell. If you're looking to understand what the Bible might say about these things, you're not really going to look here. In fact, it's hard to know where to look in the Bible because the Bible is, as we know, a collection of books. It's not a book. And as a collection of books, it's got all kinds of ideas about whether or not there is a life after this life and what it might be like. It's all quite confused and just like the rest of us, they're trying to figure out whether that's at all possible. And given that we know nothing about what happens after we die, as far as we can tell, a lot of it's conjecture and speculation. We're not 100% sure. So we don't want to be looking for those kinds of things in this story. This is a story. If we were to do, to look for, to look for what this says about heaven and hell and all of those sorts of things in the story, it would be like looking at the story of Little Red Riding Hood for information about how wolves work in the world. It's a great story, but it's not going to tell you very much if you happen to confront a wolf. It's a story. It's about something else. And this is the same thing. And like all great stories, it can be read in lots of different ways. There's a wonderful poem called The Little Red Cap, um, which is by uh, the great British poet, uh, Caroline Duffy, and she's written a bunch of poems about fairy stories and they're very uh, much a feminist reading of the fairy stories and it's quite a rude poem so I'm not going to read it here because lots of strange things happen and that you probably don't need to hear about in church but it's a wonderful poem and it's a re-reading of the story Uh, the little red cap was the original name that the Grimm brothers gave to their retelling of what was a very ancient story the idea of an innocent young girl and a wolf and you know you can imagine where a poem could go with that it's a retelling of the story it's a rethinking of it a re-looking at it and I reckon there's lots of ways we could look at this story one of them is that it's a really really good joke because remember, most of the people that Jesus was talking to at the time that he was wandering around and talking to crowds were quite poor people. So telling a story about a rich man where things don't work out well, that's going to be a barnstormer. That's really going to be a winner. You're going to have your audience in the palm of your hands. And it begins like this. We're here, they're set up, we know we've got a rich man and we know we've got a poor man. The poor man dies. Well, what happens to him? In this story, he gets carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham in the traditional uh, English version or to the seat of Abraham or next to Abraham. Now Abraham, those of you who don't know, was the great patriarch of the Jewish people. He was one of the pinnacle people. If you would imagine anyone that you wanted to have dinner with who was past, and you, you may, there might be all kinds of people, If I don't know if you've ever played that game where... You, If you could have anyone in history come to your dinner table, who would it be? For lots of people in Judaism, it would have been Abraham. So this story has built this poor man up to be about as big as he could possibly be, to be with Abraham. 
That's like winning 10 lotteries all at once, losing 50 pounds and getting your hair back all on the same day. That's how big it is. And who, how does he get there? Angels carry him. Then the, the story goes like this. The rich man also died and he was buried. Full stop. You can see people going, oh, yeah, this is a great story. This is fantastic. Turns out they both die. Doesn't matter how much money you've got. Doesn't matter how much you've succeeded. Doesn't matter how much you've done. Both die. It's a great joke. The rich man, he's done everything. He's got everything. What happens to him? Same thing as happens to the poor man. Same thing as happens to you, me, and everybody on the planet. We die. But it gets even funnier because the rich man dies the, and, and in the world of Jesus, everyone believed there was a life after the life we're currently living. Lots of people today do too. And, and I don't know how we can comment on that and something we actually have to talk about in small groups and individuals. But everyone believed there was a life after this one. And there was all kinds of stories about it, depending on which religion you followed uh, and where you were from, how you were brought up, all those kinds of things. So everyone knew there was going to be something after this. And it's the most life-changing event ever. Literally the most life-changing. Your life is changed forever because you go into this other world. But in this story, nothing changes. The most life-changing event ever to happen to this rich man has no impact on him at all. Because hear what he says. Abraham, send Lazarus, dip his finger in some water and... He's still rich. Lazarus is still the lackey, still the hired help. I can order people around. This is the way I've always lived my life. You get him to do this for me. That's the way the world is. It's the way it's always been. It's ne- nothing has changed. Even though he's had this life changing, literally, his whole life has stopped and become something else in this story. Not a very good thing, by the way. But nothing has changed in who, in who he is. He doesn't see anything differently. The ability that we've got to maintain a belief in something, even when it's patently obvious that we're in trouble, is amazing. We're doing it with our economy. We've got a federal government at the moment that is insisting that what we need is a surplus. Doesn't matter how poor people get, doesn't matter how, lo- how little they're able to purchase, because they haven't got enough money, we have to have a surplus. Even though all the central bank economists, and most of them across the world, they are in the United States and in most of Europe and certainly here, are telling the, the, the government that's not the right way forward. We're so locked into this belief that we'll kind of beggar each other. Because it doesn't matter how productive we get, it doesn't matter how cheap the product gets, if no one's got any money, they're not going to buy it. We know that. Henry Ford figured that out over a 100 years ago when he realised it didn't matter how many cars he made and how cheaply he could make them. If he didn't pay his workers enough to buy them, he wasn't going to sell them to anyone. And the car industry is, that, is in that trouble all over the world at the moment. But it's not just that. The environment... Look, we know about climate change. You'd have to be blind, deaf and dumb and stupid not to know that something is going on 
But half of me wants to believe that it's not as bad as they say it is. That it'll probably be okay if someone somewhere did something. But not too much to make my life too different. Our ability to believe in something that isn't real, that is the hope that it might be better just by hoping it, is legendary. Well, it doesn't work. He tells this to Abraham. Abraham isn't buying it. So then he does what a good, powerful person does. He negotiates. Okay, look, let's be reasonable. If I can't have somebody help me, why don't you send Lazarus, again, the hired help, the lackey. Lazarus doesn't matter as a person. He's just someone I can use to get what I need to tell my brothers they should be warned. Well, why do you warn? You? Why does his brothers need to be warned? Because they're like he is. They're as crooked as he is. So no, of course they need to be warned. And Abraham says, "But I, what's the point of doing that? They've got all they need to know about the world around them." I mean, in their language, it's Moses and the prophets, which is a way of saying, it's a shorthand way of saying, the whole of culture tells them how to be good and decent human beings, and they've ignored it. What's the point of going and yelling at them? If you, we were praying before about spring, if you've been outside in the last few weeks and you haven't felt some joy about the fact that spring has sprung again, What's the point? You know, you're, you're dead, aren't you? And if, you, if you're feeling a bit, oh, God, he's right. When you go out today, it's a beautiful day. Enjoy it. Realise that you're a part of it and become real with it. Otherwise, you might as well, you know, you just take up space on the planet. You're not really living. You're just sleepwalking. You know why I know this? Because I've done it. Look, there are years that where a whole of spring has gone past. And I've been as grumpy as I was all through winter. It's easy to do. So that's not going to work either. But this guy doesn't give up. He tries one more try. First of all, he contradicts Abraham. Uh, you know, Abraham, the kind of great man of... He knows much better than that. So, well, no, Abraham, no. You're wrong. And I'm not used to being ignored made two statements, both of them have been ignored. Here we go again. If someone was to rise from the dead. Still ordering the help around, by the way. Lazarus, just get Lazarus to come back. You know, just still ordering the help around. But that won't work either, according to Abraham. Because the world has changed. Abraham says, look, there's a great chasm between us. Well, what kind of chasm is it? I don't know what the Jesus was thinking when he was telling this great story, but I reckon the chasm is something that this rich man has built himself because he is so certain that nothing has changed, that everything is the way it ought to be if I can just, by force of will, make it so. But Abraham's saying, the chasm is a chasm between reality, which is you're dead. You can't influence the world anymore. You can't be ordering anyone around. 
Oh, many years ago, I met with a woman who's, who wanted to talk about her funeral. She was elderly and looking like she, she had to have a major operation uh, and um, there was a good chance that she might not survive it. She wanted to talk about her funeral. So we sat down and she showed me the funeral service completely written out as she wanted it. And she showed me the eulogy that she had written for herself. And it, she sounded pretty good. I didn't know her that well. And, and I, as we talked about this, I eventually got to the point of being able to say to her, look, there will come a point, and it will be the moment that you die, where you can no longer have any influence in the world or with your family. And she didn't really want to hear that. But of course it's true. There's a gap between what she believed was going to be the case. All my family will do this. And I, I said, look, I know some of your family members and I know they will respect your wishes and take some of the things that you've written and try to incorporate them into a, a funeral service. But the funeral service isn't for you. It's for them. And they'll need to do what they need to do in order to honour you and remember you. And it'll be quite a bit of the stuff you've written the hymn you like and the poem you wanted to read. But it's theirs. You will, have, uh, you will have lost all opportunity to impact the world. Just like this man. And there's a great gap between what he believed was going to be the case, that he was going to still be in charge, and the reality. That's the chasm that was between them. When something terrible happens to us, we don't want to believe it's happening. That's kind of the first thing that happens to us, isn't it? You've had something terrible happen to you. you. You want to believe that if only I could just redo that bit, it would all go back to people who have car accidents. Um, I've been with a number of friends who've had quite serious car accidents and the recurring dream that a number of them have told me about is that the moments before the accident, if they had done something slightly different or if they had spent five more minutes at the petrol station or talking to someone, then they would have missed that intersection or whatever and nothing would have changed. We long when something terrible happens for it not to be the case. And sometimes we can do that forever. We can kind of refuse to believe it. I see it all the time in when people's relationships as, as husband and wife or lovers breaks down. So often a man, and it's nearly often that I'm talking to the man, the man will say something like, all she needs to do is accept my apology. I apologised. I said I was sorry. All she needs to do is accept it. And the conversation, of course, needs to go, well, maybe there's more to it than that one incident. The fact that you can't be together at the moment might go long way back into history. Maybe this has been a gap between you for much longer. Do you think it would be worth exploring that rather than just fixating on this one event where you did the wrong thing but then apologised? That desire to believe it's not true all the time. But we can't shield ourselves from the truth. This rich man cannot build this chasm between them. The truth is he's dead in this story. He can no longer influence the world. The world can only influence him. Otherwise we just exist. We just sleepwalk. Terrible things are going to happen in Cruz's life. There's just no way for him to avoid it. Because it happens to all human beings. He doesn't know it yet. Is, is he asleep? Yeah. Good idea. He doesn't know it yet, but bad things are going to happen to him. And 
Daniel and Lee's job is not to shield him from all the sure, some things as best we can. But you can't shield him from what you've got to do is give him the resilience to live in the truth of those things, however terrible they might be. If he has a pet and the pet dies, the pet's dead. And we've got to deal with that. Don't get another one that looks a little bit the same and say, yes, well, you know, his colour changed overnight. And I've heard parents do that. Or when somebody that he, he loves in the family and friends dies, we won't take the children to the funeral because it will upset them. We've done that, and certainly in past times, that was quite traditional, that children didn't go to funerals. I know lots of adults who didn't ever go to a funeral until they were an adult, even though people they know and loved had died. And they knew something terrible had happened. They weren't able to be invited into it. Our job is not to shield each other, but to give each other resilience. When those things happen, they happen. You can't control everything after you're dead. What's even more shocking is you can't control everything before you're dead. Life just happens to us. And I think Jesus is inviting us in this story to live in humility and truth. After this story, there comes a whole bunch of verses where Jesus talks about don't get in the position where you're causing somebody else to fall away in their life, to have their life fall apart. Don't be the one that gets in the way of somebody else doing that. And when somebody else does fall apart, as they will, because people fall apart all the time for all kinds of things, be the one who always forgives. Keep forgiving each other. Keep giving each other grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Just keep doing it over and over and over and over. That's the kind of world Jesus is inviting us into. To trust the experience of God, some of which is outside in all those trees and bushes, Renewal, trust it. Forgive people. Don't be the one that causes people to stumble. Tell each other the truth. Face up to it when it's horrible, as it will be. Do it together. Cruz has got no chance at all to live a decent life without his mum and dad and all of you people to love him. Nobody does it by themselves, not even Donald Trump. Nobody does it by themselves. We all need each other. So be it.